We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Miller for three. Oh, he banked it in. He banked it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Razor catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. To go. Brogdon for three. Let's Got go. it. O'Neal drives on Yao. Puts it in. Duarte for three. Boom, baby. Anthony attacks oh. Hibbert. Denies him at the rim. Karis LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. LeVert. Skies high for the jam. Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket. Jackson turns, fires, and hits. Oh, Turner bringing that smoke. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hits. This is TJ McConnell, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Pacer Nation, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and Fachi, the boys are back, aren't they? That they are. Ooh, man, this wasn't just your, your old Sacramento Kings where you expect to beat them. This was the Kings that were number two in the league in scoring. Uh, they looked pretty decent this year. This was a quality win, and Alex, it was the first road win of the year. Yeah, definitely great to get things started off. But before we jump into our conversation about that game, about the game against the Blazers and all of our other great stuff on our show, we have a special announcement for you guys. We are trying to reach a certain number of ratings and reviews over at Apple Podcasts. That number is 175. Ratings and reviews, I believe right now we are at 124. So we are just 51 ratings and reviews away. And we told you if we reached a certain number, we would give out some prizes. So our three prizes that we have come up with, we have a setting the pace hoodie, a Jermaine O'Neal autographed basketball card. And we also have one of the new city edition jerseys that could be yours. So if you have any interest in one of those three gifts, please leave us a rating and review. The way to enter is very simple. All you have to do is screenshot your rating and review and send that to my email, alexgoldennba at gmail.com. That's A-L-E-X-G-O-L-D-E-N-N-B-A at gmail.com. Just let me know that you uh, left us a rating and a review. Five-star ratings are preferred. 
that will give you a, a double vote if you if you leave us a five star rating. So really appreciate that. And if you have family members that maybe don't listen to our show, but they are on Apple Podcasts and you want them to enter for you uh, to get your name in the drawing once again, have them do a rating and review. Screenshot that, email that to us. We'll put their name in the hat. So really cool way for us to give back to you guys for helping us grow as a podcast. But our goal was 175. We're 51 ratings and reviews away from that. And I think these prizes are, are pretty cool, Fudge. That they are. I mean, the City Edition jerseys are fresh. So you're definitely going to want that. Who wouldn't want a Jermaine O'Neal autograph? I mean, that is my guy. And then the setting the pace hoodie. I mean, you got to imagine. Look, we're giving this to you guys for free. Alex and I, we're getting our own. I mean, this is going to be straight up fire. We're <laughs> not going to want to miss out on this. Yeah, so we've already made one before. We didn't really do a lot of like orders for sales on it. It was just a black one with our logo on it. And it was pretty cool, but I might want to do a different one, kind of change it up a little bit. But we're going to pick three winners, okay? And, and how this works is basically, like I said, put your name in the drawing by emailing us that screenshot. We'll put your name in the hat. And whoever we pick first, they will have first choice of these three gifts. Second, we'll get the other, uh, their next choice of one of the other two. And then the last person selected will get the last gift that's left there. But I think all of them are pretty good deals. And uh, if you blow us away, if we get to 200 by the end of the year, something like that, maybe we'll throw in a second City Edition jersey. But, you know, it, it's really going to have to take some effort from you guys to really get us up there on the ratings and reviews. But enough of that. Really appreciate the support. Let's move on, Fachi, into this previous week. The Indiana Pacers this weekend lost a very tough game against the Portland Trailblazers, 110 to 106, but bounced back Sunday with a 94-91 victory against the Sacramento Kings. What were your thoughts on both those games? Uh, one, the Trailblazers game, that loss put a bad taste in my mouth because first half was disgusting. The first few minutes of the game was really rough. Pacers rallied all the way back, actually grabbed a nine-point lead against Portland and in the end, had an absolute meltdown. And you know, it was really tough. I knew, man, how, how are the boys going to respond? Well, they did. They, they really made sure that it was a major emphasis to get off to a much better start, and that is exactly what they did. They had a double-digit lead in the first quarter against Sacramento. You know, playing on the road had not been easy for the Pacers. I mentioned this was their first road win, and there was a lot of great takeaways in this game, but I, I thought one of them was that the defense, it limited the Kings to 91 points, uh, holding them their lowest total of the season. They averaged 113 while they finished with 91. That's 22 points below uh, their averages. I mean, hey, that ain't easy in the NBA today. No, it's not at all, Fauci. And I I'm, I was actually just blown away by the, the style of play and some of the stats, like zero fast break points from the Pacers, and, and they still won the game. That's pretty impressive. They were not trying to push it at all. They were not setting the pace, whatever. They were playing mm -hmm. so slow. It was it was quite quite different the way they went out there and kind of mucked the game up. But got to love the rebound differential here against the Kings, 54 to 33. The, the team dominated the boards, and I think you put a tweet out about it. Miles Turner had 10 rebounds by literally like the beginning of the third quarter. It was unbelievable. <laughs> I'd never seen him have double-digit rebounds that quick. Yeah, I mean, he was a monster on the glass. Sabonis finished with 10. But not only that, I love to see seven from McConnell, six from Levert, and five from Duarte. That's a total of 18 rebounds from your from your guards. I think that's just huge going forward. You cannot only rely on your big men to get you the rebounds. I mean, they got 25. That's pretty good. But you got to contribute other places. And the guards did a good job of that. Limiting opportunities for Sacramento. 
that game against Portland, man, that was, like you said, just just so frustrating because they started off so slow. You thought it was going to be one of those games where, man, you know, we're just about to get spanked, and all of a sudden the Pacers start clawing back. You're in the fourth quarter. Damian Lillard goes 2 of 13 for just four stinking points, and you blow the game late. And, and it was a contribution from a lot of people. Uh, the, the Pacers were up by nine. McCollum and Rocco hit back-to-back threes. Carlisle calls timeout. He puts Sabonis and Lavert in. Lavert goes in, misses a jumper. Very next play. Turner commits a foul. They hit both free throws. Goes down to a one-point game. Norman Powell hit those free throws. And then Sabonis had a couple of turnovers. And, and two Kasu plays really just back-to-back really, really were just stingers. McConnell misses the wide-open go-ahead layup. That was tough. Just kind of left Oof. it short on the rim. And then Sabonis leaves Rocco, who had just hit two threes. Sucks in to watch McCollum, who had went off that game and left Robert Covington wide open, and Covington nailed the three, and that was the dagger. I mean, you know, it, it was a rough stretch there for Sabonis. It, it really stunk to see him just make some boneheaded turnovers, but, you know, he, he did a good job, I felt like, especially weathering that storm in the first half, helping this team get their lead back because we started off so flat and just so many different lineups. But overall, I, I think that we should say that we're satisfied, I guess, to some degree with the play that we've seen on the road in this West Coast road trip because being in a, in a minus one in terms of point differential, I, I think that's a good way to look at it and say, hey, we've been in these games. We're not getting blown out. So it makes you feel a little bit better, especially without having Malcolm Brogdon. Absolutely. I mean, look, the Pacers started out the season two and six. It was horrendous. The boys have won three of four, and they were in that game in Portland until the very end. If the Pacers had gone on a four-game winning streak, Right there, I mean, we'd be feeling very differently. But at the same point, I feel encouraged. Once again, look, I never want to pat myself on the back for a close loss. But you, you feel like if Brogdon was in that game, things are different against Portland. I mean, that, that's just how it feels. Like We just have not been able to get the team healthy at the same time. Uh, I like the fact that the Pacers were able to rest Brogdon in the game against Sacramento while also picking up a win. So that's huge. They finally get two days off of rest right over here. So you imagine that, that they'll have Brogdon out there next time, but I know he's been very sick. We'll see. But against Sacramento, a few things that you touched on. You touched on the rebounding, you know, which was unbelievable. One thing, like a broken record, I've said it a hundred times on here, you get 30 assists, you're probably going to win that game. Well, you know what? The Pacers had 13 assists against Sacramento and won. Yeah. I couldn't believe that. I mean, 19 turnovers, <laughs> 13 assists, that is not good basketball. 24 fouls, there's so many ways to put it as to why the Pacers should have lost this game. Didn't shoot well from three, six of 25, that's 24%. Pretty gross. It's gross, but they played defense, and and that made a big difference over there. Um, I mean, overall, I mean, there there really wasn't that much to highlight outside of the rebounding, like, like we talked about, but just... I mean, if, if we want to go into, you know, player by player, the starting lineup really brought it. They really did. And Miles Turner was the guy that I felt like really set the tone. Offensively, you look at 12 points, might not blow you away. Defensively, he was great. Yeah. Rebounding, crashing the glass. I mean, did everything you could have possibly needed it out of him. Five blocks. I mean, really set the tone. You talked about McConnell. The last two games, McConnell's come alive. I mean, this is like a scoring McConnell that we're seeing. 
not really distributing as much as maybe in years past assists are down, but the turnovers are down. I like that, but the scoring's up. McConnell's averaging a career high in points right now, nine points per game. He's shooting over 50% from the field. I'm not going to buy into the 40% from three because it's very limited. But at the same point, I mean, it just felt like we got enough out of all starters, and that's what we needed. Yeah, I thought it was a really good performance, especially in the, in the Kings game from them. I felt like Levert was a little bit pushy in terms of some of the selections of shots he was taking. Didn't really even score, I don't believe, in the first quarter. So it was nope, it was kind of crazy to, to see the numbers he put up in the second half. I believe he went like yeah. 6 of 17, something like that in the second half. But 9 of 22, just 1 of 5. I believe he was 0 of 8 from 3 against the Blazers. So mm-hmm. clearly he's not been shooting the ball well from distance, which has been something that's always been a knack on him. Uh, same with Domas. Domas from 3 has just been pretty bad. Fachi, I mean, I, oh, yeah. we can talk about it here for a minute because I know it's like, why is he taking them? I feel like Domas, when he shoots those threes, they're not really like in rhythm whatsoever. Me and you talked about this via text a little bit today. And it feels like whenever he catches it up there, he's always looking whether he should drive, whether he should set up somebody for a dribble handoff or he's looking for a cutter. And then all of a sudden nothing's really open and then he'll maybe shoot it. Doesn't really just catch and shoot. It's never like a natural motion to me, really. Every once in a while, it might be if the shot clock's running down and he knows he has to get a shot up, but in rhythm, I haven't really seen him shoot a ton, but I still, I just am not buying into Sabonis being a three-point shooter. The same with McConnell, same with Levert. So that can be problematic <laughs> if you're talking about three guys that you're basically saying, hey, we'll, we'll live with them shooting threes, right? So I, I think that it's interesting that we're getting such great numbers from Duarte and Miles Turner and Justin Holiday seems to be getting his groove back a little bit from distance, but all in all, um, I think you hit the nail on the head. This team would not be where they're at this this week if it wouldn't have been for the improved play of Miles Turner, Fachi. Um, and, and you talked about it, 15 rebounds in, in this game. The the thing I love the most from Miles Turner was his post-game press conference conversation talking about or comment talking about rebounding. And I don't know if you heard it or not, but he said rebounding is a mentality thing. It's not a skill thing. And for so long, I feel like his rebounding numbers have not been what a lot of people had hoped they would be. And we've talked about it. Sometimes it just felt like it was always mental with Miles, getting in his own head, that kind of thing. But, but I think now he's got the trust and the confidence from the coaching staff and whatever, this team, and, and just him asserting himself to be that rebounder that we've desperately wanted him to be for the past five years. He, he's starting to answer that and, we, and we've seen it consistently now for how many games I believe it's four in a row now that we've seen him consistently be in that double digit range for rebounds and I, I think that's a testament to he's taking this to heart when it comes to it's a it's a mental thing it's a mentality I got to be a better rebounder and I think he's doing that greatly a confident rebounder is a scary thing in the NBA it really is and when Miles is believing that he can crash the boards and out rebound anyone the Pacers are going to be that much better for it because 54 rebounds, that, that's, that's a lot for a team. And Miles led the way from the very start. We've seen him in the beginning of games really trying to get up in there and, and pull rebounds down, not letting them wait come to him. He's crashed, and it, it's been evident. I mean, he's averaging right now, sure, it's 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 a short you know beginning of the season. We're 11 games in, 
eight and a half rebounds per game. That would be a career high by over a full rebound. I mean, that that's what you want to see. That's where you can look at of, you know, improvement. We talked about internally. We're not going to just, you know, grab a, a rebounder from free agency who just all of a sudden makes us a good rebounding team. It has to come from within. It has to be the guys buying into it. It's like when you mentioned before, TJ McConnell having seven rebounds. Like, okay, great. He, he stepped up there. It's Chris Duarte having five. It's Sabonis getting his double-digit rebounds. It's, it's everybody just making a more collective effort on the glass. And it, it's gone a long way. Miles shot blocking, that's what you can count on every single night. But if you can count on him to then be a rebounder, there's always going to be a way for him to impact the game outside of just shot blocking. And he's been able to do it on both sides of the floor so far this year. I mean, I know that he had 12 points in this game, but just before that against San Antonio, against the Knicks, you know, we'll talk about it more later. He was, he was in rhythm. I mean, just really a force to be reckoned with. So I feel like that that's a game that, you know, there's a couple of games this year that we don't win without miles. And it's awesome to be able to say that and see him play in the fourth quarter. It's great to see him get his due, but uh, to a point that you made on Sabonis three point shooting wise, Alex, he's now two of his last 26. Oh, I know. It's disgusting. It's, it's awful. Guys, to put that in perspective, this is a guy that is shooting 59% on the season from the floor, which is amazing. 71% from two, but just 22% from three. So it's just, it's almost like, man, you don't want to completely take that out of his game, but he's trying hard. But it's like you mentioned. It's not natural to him. You're not just swinging it to Sabonis and he's putting it up. He's really contemplating it, reloading, getting his shot up. And then over there, it's like, oh, all right, all right, nice nice try. But that's not what we're looking for. You know, yeah. under Carlisle, you know you want to shoot more threes, but it's just not his game. And there's a lot of things, a lot of places on the floor that he has improved on. Three-point shooting, unfortunately, hasn't been one of them. Yeah, and I feel like he's not gotten a lot of great looks in this offense, to be honest with you. Uh, especially the last week or so, playing a lot of minutes with Brad Wanamaker in that second Ooh. unit, it's really killed him. Uh, I mean, he's had some – I guess, you know, Wanamaker did have some nice plays in the Portland game. I've tried to defend Wanamaker to an extent in terms of why he's on the roster, that kind of thing. But <laughs> that game against the Kings, I mean, it was really bad. Like, it, it was really hard to justify. But I, I don't really see Wanamaker as a true point guard, that kind yeah. of thing. I was a little bit surprised that when we first talked to Keith Smith from Yahoo Sports about maybe third-string point guards, he brought up Brad Wanamaker. I don't know if you remember that or not, but that was about three months ago. I was like, I've always thought Wanamaker was more of a two-guard, you know, especially with the Celtics. I felt like he was more of a shooter. But, you know, we're we're seeing it right now. I mean, he's not a great initiator of offense. I I feel like he's better as a catch-and-shooter, a spot-up shooter kind of guy. So, really, one of the things, though, with Sabonis, teams are – doing exactly what the Raptors did to him since that game against Toronto in Toronto. They're overplaying him quite a bit. And I I won't lie. I went back and watched all of Miles Turner's highlights from that Knicks game because I was like, man, he was just on fire. I want to see this again. I want to see what was going on, how he was getting so open. And if you look at a lot of the plays that he had, um, a lot of those threes came from dribble penetration, getting him wide open looks. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, a lot of times was overhelping in the paint. And when Miles Turner was shooting that well, they didn't seem to care. But if you go back last year and look at how the Knicks defended the Pacers, they kind of did it the same way, except Miles wasn't hitting those three-point shots. So I, I'm i more impressed out of all three facets of the game we talked about with Miles, rebounds, points, and blocks. 
I think the rebounding to me is number one, the most important. It is. And then the blocks are number two and the points are number three. But when he's able to knock down that three-point shot on a high clip like he is with like 40% shooting from three, he truly is a three and D type of player at this point. Mm -hmm. But he's been around the 33% mark the last couple of years here. Like it's not really like he's been a, a, a prolific shooter or a fantastic shooter, but he is shooting and playing with so much confidence. I mean, you can just feel the energy from him on the floor. He looks like a totally different player. And that's why I brought it up with the whole mentality of rebounding. I just think mentally he is playing with so much more confidence than I've ever seen Miles Turner play before. Um, and, you know, we're going to, we're always going to hear the conversations of who they should keep between him and Sabonis. But I really think that Sabonis, while there's been moments where he's not looked great, especially in this offense and different things that he's doing, I think that teams defending Sabonis the way they have been and him not getting a real good look, he's not getting the ball really at all in the low post anymore. No. Everything's around the, the, the three. And then if he wants to get down low, it's either an offensive rebound or every once in a while he'll run the pick and roll with Lavert, but that's about it. So, I feel like Sabonis is being utilized differently, not trying to make excuses, but just saying he's utilized differently than he was last year. But defenses are also keying in on him quite a bit. I know I'm rambling here, so I apologize. But defenses are keying in on him quite a bit. And if they're going to leave Miles Turner open to get those looks or for Miles Turner to cut and get dunks at the basket, at the rim, then Miles Turner needs to just continue to thrive in this role. Hey, let, let Domas almost be a decoy. Let Domas feed you. Because if they're so worried about Domas putting pressure by getting into the paint, then that's going to leave open opportunities for Miles Turner, and it's going to make Miles Turner be even more valuable to this team than he than he is already. No doubt. I mean, look, it, for anyone that was looking for Sabonis to maybe take his game offensively to the next level, it's probably not going to be this year because this team on paper is better. They have guys. Like, they have plenty of guys that, that can make shots. And right now, Sabonis is commanding a lot of attention on defense. And guys like Miles Turner have been able to benefit from that. And I think that's amazing. I don't care who plays great as long as the Pacers can win. And right now, Miles is knocking down those shots at a very consistent level. It's, it's great to see. A guy like Chris Duarte, who we haven't mentioned yet. Duarte, you he had like such a quiet 15. He could see a 12 at half. He only had three in the second half. But he no longer has to force and put up. 18, 21 shots. I mean, this is a guy that was asked to do a lot very early on. And right now, he's able to fit into this offense just so well as that fourth or fifth guy. I mean, Duarte was a plus 19 yesterday. Uh, you know, 15 points, five rebounds. He does it on six of 12 shooting. I mean, he's able to just fit in seamlessly. Uh, but going back to the point that you made about Brad Wanamaker, Brad Wanamaker's turnover that he had to end the first quarter was one of the worst turnovers. I look like Alex, look like he pooped down the side of his leg. He literally <laughs> messed up. The, he just dropped the ball. Yeah. Stopped I, for a second and went, oh. And then Buddy Heel just pushed forward, hits a near 40-foot three-pointer, and it just seemed like he had a mental brain fart right there. And at that point, you're talking about a guy that finished the game going, you know, he had one point three turnovers. I mean, it just it just wasn't the move. I know Brogdon's out. We're trying to buy time. We're experimenting here. Carlisle's giving him some time. He got 11 minutes. I mean, there was only, you know, basically there's only eight players in this game that logged double-digit minutes, and Brad Wanamaker was one of them. And I don't know how much longer we're going to see that happen. 
Yeah, I mean, once you get Brogdon back, you won't see Wanamaker at all, right? So that's the that's the hope anyway. But, you know, it, he was bad. He was really bad in this game. And, I mean, there's no justifying it. It's just he was he was bad. And you're right. Some of those turnovers he had, it's just like, what are you doing? Like, it, would, it didn't even make sense. So I, I just kind of felt bad because when I was looking at everything and looking at the, the numbers and the game, it's just like, it's so difficult to figure out the best way to utilize this bench, especially when McConnell's starting, because there's no shot creators it whatsoever. Was tough yesterday, Alex. Yeah, I mean, ten points combined. Yeah, I know, and that's what I'm saying. Like, and we've been seeing a lot of substitutions where Domas goes out early, Turner stays in there with the starters for the most part, and then Savonis will come and maybe with like a minute or two left in the fourth, or not the fourth, the first and the third, to play with those bench units and. When you're talking about Brad Wanamaker, Tory Craig, Justin Holiday, and one of the starters, or even Goga at times, or Jeremy Lamb with Domas, like that's not a very good five out there at all. So they've they really need to figure out a way to get TJ back on the bench, yep. just because TJ can be that initiator and help get things going. But you know, when when, when Malcolm's out, this is what you're kind of dealing with. And not to mention, just so frustrating. I think this is three games in a row now. DNP coach's decision, O'Shea Brissett. I know. It, it's tough because O'Shea's that guy that you actually feel confident at times could create his own shot, could could get it going. I mean, look, we're going to hold on to that 18 points against Miami for a while. I, I said, we don't win that game without O'Shea. But when, when you add it up, 10 points for the bench, two assists, 11 rebounds. This is collectively between six players. They were three of 13. I mean – no one on the bench brought it. Everyone was a negative from a plus-minus standpoint. So there really was not a lot going on there. I know Tory Craig does not – you not. You don't need to ask for him to have an offensive game, but Justin Holiday just seems to be so up and down where sometimes he's, he's a huge part of the game. Sometimes he's really not. I, I mean, he didn't shoot the ball too much yesterday, so give him a pass on that. Only five attempts. They went two or five. You know, that's fine. But um, it, it just felt like on a day like yesterday – I mean, the bench early on in the season was averaging 16 points, and that was amongst the worst in the NBA. 10 points yesterday, that, that's never going to cut it against anybody. No, it's not. But we've talked enough about these two games. We've got a long show ahead of us. We've got a quite a lengthy mailbag segment for you at the end. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will hit on our player of the week and our rookie report. We'll be right back after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
It's time for your Setting the Pace Player of the Week. Brought to you by Smoke and Barrel Barbecue. They put their heart and soul into the food, and uh, I would love to eat there every day if I could. Open Thursday through Saturday at 11. Located at Camp Sertoma. Smoke and Barrel Barbecue, baby. All good in this head. Smoke and Barrel Barbecue. It's smoking good. Brogdon for three. everybody for this week's setting the pace player of the week making his first player of the week appearance it is the one and only miles turner on the week miles had 72 points 42 rebounds 12 blocks four steals that equates to averages of 18 points per game 10 and a half rebounds per game three blocks per game average a steal alex he shot 57% from the field and 50% from three in a time where the Pacers went three and one and we could not have done it without him. 1000% agree. I put the tweet out on setting the pace's Twitter page and I said, we need your help voting for player of the week. And I put all four options as Miles Turner because I just felt like if we put anybody else, it was not fair because you could have made a case for T.J. McConnell. I think he would have been probably the second choice for that. And then maybe Karis Levert, you could have gone that route as well. But I just felt like there should have been no discussion about it. It was rightfully Miles Turner's after that game against the Knicks, really. And then just following it up with monster performances against Portland and Sacramento. Like, this is the Miles Turner that we've always wanted to see. And he really stepped up his game. So I, I want to see how long. He can keep this up, but man, uh, this is a this is a high that we haven't never seen before from Miles Turner that I can recall having this many consistent games in a row back to back to back. So I'm, I'm just hoping that this is the new and improved Miles Turner. We continue to see it going forward. And not only was he our Player of the Week, he was also a nominee for Eastern Conference Player of the Week, which is amazing to see him get that recognition from the NBA, which he never gets. But yeah. uh, on, on the week, what I thought was really interesting in terms of keeping him involved. Alex, in all four games this week, Miles had 10 or more shots. That's something you don't see often, and I love it. I, I went through a couple years, and basically it seems like once a year there's a stretch where he has 10 or more shots in four straight games. That's just not enough. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we need to be able to get him consistent looks. This year feels like he's been able to get that ever since, you know, the, the you know, following the Washington game where he was in foul trouble. I think it was against Miami and, and against Milwaukee. I mean, th- those games he had foul trouble. You know, it was tough. I uh, didn't really play in the fourth quarter. But ever since then, whenever he's regained the trust of Carlisle back, he's really brought it. I mean, just under 25 minutes against San Antonio, he puts up 19 points on 7 of 10 shooting, 8 rebounds, 3 blocks. Against the Knicks, which you mentioned, 25 points, 9 of 14 shooting, 7 of 10 from 3. 13 rebounds and three blocks and just under 30 minutes. This guy is being very, very efficient. And like I mentioned earlier, just 11 games in. But this would actually be his fewest minutes per game since his rookie year. But he has a career high tying 14 and a half points per game, career high field goal percentage with 53.4, career high three point percentage with 41.1. 
and a career-high rebounds per game with 8.5. All around the board, this man's producing. Absolutely, and I think one thing to bring up, too, since you brought up a shot attempts, he's not forcing them either. Nope. They're coming in naturally through the offense. The team's kicking it over to him, and he's shooting with confidence. So this is the Miles Turner that we're hoping we get to see for the rest of the season, playing with this much confidence, playing with this much aggression, uh, going with so much force at the rim, whether it's you know dunking the basketball in traffic, whether it's getting rebounds in traffic. This is who we want to see. And, of course, we know trying to attempt – any layup on Miles Turner is a challenge in itself. So he might only have three, which is huge, but he might only have three block shots per game. But he's definitely impacting more than just three shots at the rim. He is a guy that really makes you think when you're a guard going in there, should I really do this or not? So kudos to Miles Turner. But let's take a quick moment to transition. And now it's time for the Rookie Report. The Rookie Report, brought to you by Pizza King, located at 135 and Fairview Road. Call us at 317-882-0340 to place your order today. Pizza King, a proud sponsor of Setting the Pace. The Rookie Report. Duarte inside scores his first NBA points. Now Duarte, his three is perfect. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again. Beat him up. Duarte, step back three, and hits his third. That's a tough three, too. Now Duarte, another three. Here's a long three. Duarte, got it! (laughs) Tucker thought he had a lightweight. All right, for this week's Rookie Report, we only have one rookie to discuss, unfortunately, but just for now, and that is Chris Duarte. After likely having been asked to do a bit too much early on, Duarte has settled into a nice role in November. Uh, On the week, he averaged 13 points per game on 51% shooting and 50% from three to go along with four rebounds per game and averaging a steal per game. Alex, what have you liked from Chris Duarte on the week? Well, I just kind of said the same thing about Miles Turner, but I like that he's not forcing it. He's he's getting used to his role where he's asked to be the fifth starter now. And when Brogdon's back, you know, he's not going to have as many opportunities to put the ball in the hoop. But I like that he got started off there in Sacramento. And, and we saw Karis LeVert have zero shot attempts, like I said, in that first quarter. It was so many other guys that were getting involved, but Duarte really got off to a hot start. So I like that he's such a great three-point shooter. He's so poised defensively. He's getting better. I still know there are some things he should, you know, he's got to work on, obviously, just being a young rook. But at the same time, he's uh, really performing well. And I think the best thing about Duarte, Rick Carlisle has kept him in that starting five, did not go with Justin Holiday, which a lot of people probably thought could happen. But I like that Carlisle's riding the hot hand with Duarte. And I would really like to just see him grow, maybe rotational-wise, and maybe play him a little bit more at the second unit and see if he can maybe get some more production with that group as well, just to balance out the scoring a little bit. But overall, Foch, I just a lot of lots of love about Chris Duarte, and I think it's died down a little bit because Miles Turner's gotten the much deserved praise over on Twitter this week. But uh, I, I think Pacer fans are still really excited about what we found in Chris Duarte. Absolutely, and look, yeah, I mean, it feels like each week someone else has taken a little bit of the shine. I mean, Lavert had his comeback. You know, Miles had the forty-point game, and then he was on fire this week. I mean, Sabonis had some great games. It just feels like 
this is what you hope for when Pritchard in the front office said that they wanted to have basically five or more guys go out there and be able to, you know, produce. And, and that's what they have. We got spoiled by Duarte early on. It was a Duarte mania. But right now, I mean, if Duarte could average 13 points per game and shoot anywhere even close to 50% from the field, which is what he did on the week, and we're not expecting that, guys, we would take that time after time because this is a guy that we picked 13th overall. The expectations weren't for him to lead the franchise. But unfortunately, you know, night one, he's dropping 27. I mean, it just seems that, you know, this guy is going to be so good but I love the fact that he's not forcing it. He doesn't have to feel that pressure. And just like you, I want to see him a bit more with that second unit. Yeah, let's uh, let's see what you can do, Carlisle. You've been changing up those rotations quite a bit. And, you know, once uh, once we get fully healthy with Warren hopefully coming back here, it looks like late December, early January, we'll see how this team looks rotational-wise. But, you know, there's not going to be enough shots for everybody to be, you know, happy. So... Uh, Got to find a great way to put a good balance of shot attempts out there for everybody. But, Bachi, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we have close to, I believe, like 15 to 20 mailbag questions for today's Ooh, segment. So coming. we pr- appreciate you guys wanting to hear our thoughts on all these questions. So we'll be right back with our final segment, Mailbag Monday. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, everybody, it's time for your favorite segment on our weekly show. It's Mailbag Monday. Really enjoying doing this, Fachi. I think it's worked out pretty well. I think the fans are excited about it. So, uh, yeah, let's jump right into it. This comes from the Jordan Matthews here on Instagram. You guys have said in a few episodes how the Pacers need a dog to fire up the team and lead them forward when they're down. If clearing enough cap space was possible, do you think a guy like John Wall would be fitting for that role and bringing the edge we're looking for? Absolutely not. Um, (laughs) No chance at all. John Wall is owed close to $90 million over the next two seasons. And unfortunately, he is not the same player he was a few years back, having re-signed Brogdon and McConnell. There's just no room for John Wall here. Yeah, no, no offense, Jordan, but John Wall to me, I don't know, Facha, you you live in D.C. area, so you got the – Hear about John Wall quite a bit when he was there with that team. Yeah, he, he really, was good for a while, but you know. I mean, the last couple of years, I mean, would you really call him a dog though? I mean, I yeah. don't really see the dog Not mentality with dog. him. Yeah, no. I mean, you know, he's a he's a good player. Don't get me wrong. I think injuries have really dwindled his career a little bit, but yeah, I I still like John Wall as a player when he was healthy, but he's not, and he and he's owed like forty some million dollars per year, so. There's no possible way I could see the Pacers even clearing cap space to bring him on. Uh, if he got bought out and then you're looking at a guy maybe like, okay, that makes sense, but he's not going to be a backup or a third-string point guard on this Pacers team. So yeah. uh, I don't necessarily think that that's the right type of player here for us. I, I think more of a minimal person maybe in a role that's either seventh or eighth man on exactly. this team. So we, uh, we'll we we'll see about that, and we'll maybe throw out some ideas for people that could be dogs later. But – Let's move on to our next question. This comes from Logan. He said, when will Malcolm Brogdon play a full season? 
To be honest, I don't know if he ever will. Um, <laughs> it, it sounds rough to say, but if Brogdon ever gave us 72 out of 82 games, Alex, I would call that a mega success. And it already seems like that won't be this year. No, it's it, he misses about 25% of the games, you'd probably say, or at least 20% of the games each probably year. 20, yeah. Just with like, you know, like stuff like like the sickness, like that has nothing to do with injuries. It's just part of life, you know. We all get head colds. We all get sick. We all get stomach bugs. We all get whatever. I mean, it's just part of life. So those kind of things I, I think are like fluky, but the little hamstrings, you know, stuff, the, the, the finger issue that he had a couple of years ago with his shooting, like those little things are going to add up and he's just kind of an injury prone guy, but that's what you signed up for. You're hoping that he's good to go by the playoffs. And, and that's the thing, but you know, I, I get it. Uh, Logan did say my guy is made out of uh, made out of glass, <laughs> which I, he I knows. Understand. Logan knows the deal. Yeah, so he's going to play a full season. But now. I think what you saw, especially in that Portland game, how beneficial having a guy like that would have been, even in Sacramento. Uh, he, people people hate on Brogdon quite a bit, and I don't really get why it's like so harsh. You know, like oh he's terrible. We got to trade him. He's a locker room cancer. Like I hear all that stuff almost every game. Like if we win without him, it's like see. We don't need Brogdon. We're better without him. It's like, uh, watch the games. Brogdon was fantastic in that Knicks game and was a major reason why we won. I don't think we win that game if Brogdon doesn't play. No offense. But um, let's move on to our last question here on Instagram. This comes from Karis underscore Legoat. Why do you think Karis why, – why do you think Karis hasn't been so involved in the offense uh, up until the second quarter today? So referring back to that Kings game, like we said, no shots in the first quarter. Why do you think that was, Fotch? Yeah, I mean, that was definitely interesting. I'm wondering if maybe he maybe got in his own head a bit because his shot selection is no secret. It has not been good this year. He struggled from the field. I think he's just rusty because he had the back injury, and I, I think that it takes him a while to really get it going. Uh, Tyler Smith, you know, former member of the show, actually put out a great tweet uh, today basically saying that, you know, Brogdon uh, – I mean, not Brogdon, uh, Levert last year in his first, like, 20 games with the Pacers was shooting sub 40%. And then he ended up finishing the year in his last like 20 plus game shooting over 47%. So let the man shake off some rust. He probably thought to himself, Hey, let me try and, you know, get others involved or not take too many shots early. And then, then, you know what? The man started really heating up in the third quarter had like, I think it was 13 points in the third quarter. So I don't think it's anything too crazy. No, I agree. I mean, it's just one of those things. He still had 22 shots overall. So yeah, it's not like he didn't get his own shots. You know what I'm saying? Like, Carlisle was just running a different offense. And I think that's part of it too, just getting uh, acclimated with this new offense. You know, he's only been here less than a year. He came over here and started playing around March, I believe. And it's November now. And he's already had two coaches and two offensive systems to play and learn and defensive three, systems to play and learn. Three coaches in the last two years. You include the Nets. That's true. Yeah. I didn't even think about Steve Nash being over there. And before that, he had Kenny Atkinson. So exactly. It's, it's he's, a long list right now. Yeah, he's had a lot of changes there in terms of what he's supposed to be doing. And basketball is basketball. So it's not like we need to overthink that part of it. But at the end of the day, I think one thing you can tell with Karis Levert, it's just like this guy will get you some tough buckets when you need him to. So don't worry about when he was utilized, but just figure out a way to watch the game and see how he really helps his team succeed. And I get he's not had he's had some rough games the last couple of games, especially yeah. especially against Portland and especially against Sacramento. But that's okay because we've had other guys step up. TJ McConnell stepped up big time. Miles Turner stepped up big time. 
and hopefully we can just see him grow from here. But let's move on now to our Facebook group questions. So we've got them from three different places. We're, we're going to leave Twitter for last, but this comes from a uh, faithful listener, Gavin Lee Miller. He said, will Duarte be an Indy for the next four to five years? Yeah, I, I can't see that the Pacers trading him at any scenario right now. I mean, obviously, you know, you never say never and crazy things could happen, but the Pacers ain't letting him go. They, they, they struck gold here, and I, I feel like they would be the first team to want to get him signed and, and solidify him on this team moving forward. So I can't see a scenario where they would package him. Yeah, I think the only way they'd package him is if they got like a superstar in the of return. Course. Then at that know. point, everyone's on the table. Right, right, right. I mean, but if you're like, okay, well, Duarte had an amazing rookie year, so we'll sell high on him with no. one, of, one of our bigs. Like, I well, for a superstar is what I'm saying. Well, of course. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying, Vashi. Freaking out for a second. Let just let me talk for a second. What I'm saying is if he has a if he has a good rookie year and, and people are buying high on him, and then you decide, hey, let's move one of the centers, and we got another contract we can throw in there, and you're like, okay, let's go out and get maybe a Jalen Brown or a Bradley Beal or somebody like that, where a team's like, let's let's maybe rethink things and kind of retool. I'm just throwing out names. I'm not saying those teams are doing that, but that's kind of thing. Maybe like you look at the Pelicans, maybe someone like Zion becomes available because he can't stay healthy, that kind of thing. Seems like a Pacers guy, right? But I'm just I'm just saying, like, if that were the case, I could see it. But I would say there's like a 99% chance that he is on the team for the next four to five years with a 1% chance that something crazy is on the table and, and they included him in a trade. So I, I hope he doesn't go because I have really grown to love his game and really grown to like him as just even a person. I think he's a really fun guy to root for. Absolutely. So let's move on to our next Facebook question from Chris. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. I'm sorry, but Dowtry. we're going to go. How did you say it? Dowtry. Dowtry. Uh, we'll have to have Chris tell me how to say that for next time. But he said, what coaching change has been made that has improved Miles Turner's rebounding numbers? Man, I mean, I, I'd like to give Miles some credit here for just being more aggressive, maybe changing yeah. his mentality. I don't know if there's a single coach that we could pin this to. Uh, I just I would like to say, hey, we just have a much more, um, you know, capable coaching staff than last year. So I'm, I'm sure it's a collective effort. I'd like to give Miles some of the credit here. Yeah, I don't think it's really anything to do with the coaching. I think everything we've been talking about with Miles and maybe some of his weaknesses or things that we'd like to see him improve on, it's always been a what can Miles do better thing. It's never been, oh, the coaches are holding him back. You know, everyone's like, well, he's finally being utilized in the offense. Like, look, Bjorkren did a very poor job of getting him open looks, I feel like. You know, yeah, sure. But I felt like McMillan, when they were playing in that system, he got Miles open looks. Miles just didn't hit shots, in my opinion. So rebounding-wise, though, that's just an effort thing. And he said it. It's a mentality thing. So Miles, like I said earlier in the show, he told on himself. He said it's a mentality thing, and that's the thing. He's mentally got himself to this point where now he's like, I'm going to go fight for rebounds. And just to be honest with you, if he's a double-digit rebounder and a three-point whatever blocks per game type of player, he's only going to shoot himself up the ladder for defense player of the year. So, you know, you you can look at the block shots and say, wow, this guy is great at blocking shots, but if the rebounds aren't there, then they're going to say, well, what else is he doing defensively besides blocking shots? And that's kind of where a lot of fans who have been frustrated with his game will bring that up. But ultimately, I think that coaching-wise, maybe it's Carlisle just kind of lighting a fire underneath him. Maybe it was Greg Doyle's article that did it. We brought that article up where he kind of went to town on Miles Turner and just talked about how he's 
you know, not that guy. So I, I don't know what, what's been the reason that he's been, you know, why he's changed his game. But overall, we're liking the results of a flash because it's resulting in winning. So uh, that's the here's bottom line. Say, here's what I'll say real quick. It just sat, and Miles pointed out himself, it sounded like he got himself into a great place mentally this offseason. He mentioned that when he finished last year and he was hurt, he was in a really dark place, put on some weight, was eating a lot of junk food. It sounded like he really dedicated himself to, once again, changing his body, um, but but just really kind of whatever it is, I mean, he he's just bought in completely to I need to do whatever I can to help this team. And if rebounding something that he's locked in on, then then it shows the work yeah. is showing right now. So happy for him. Yeah. Our last question here on Facebook comes from one of our previous writers for PacersTalk.net when we did that website for here, Vachi. Our good friend Shay Orr, I believe his uh, his girl just had a birthday, so shout out to her as well. Happy belated birthday to you from here over at Setting the Pace. But Shay asked, prior to the draft in the offseason, there was a lot of talk about how much Warren meant to the Pacers. Do you guys think the high level of play from Duarte has impacted their viewpoint of Warren as a long-term fit with the team? It's interesting. I mean, part of the, you know, when you don't see someone, it's easy to forget about them. Obviously, the Pacers made it known, you know, before the play of Duarte of just how vital to this team T.J. Warren is. Um, I hope that is definitely still the case because, look, T.J. Warren, everybody forgets it. It's quite easy to forget, but the man was our leading scorer just two seasons ago. Barely has played since. So I'd like to give T.J. Warren the benefit of the doubt here, but when you start to look at things and Chris Duarte's play has, I mean, there's only oh so long that you can keep trying to keep this man on the bench when Warren comes back, but it feels like Duarte's meant for more things. I just hope Warren can return to who he was. And when he does, everybody else is going to realize, wow, this man's really good. I think this is a really good question. It and is. It, and it really makes you think, what would they do? Because I, I truly believe that this front office wants this quarter work. I think that they feel once healthy, they could work. I mean, they've been talking about it. And to be fair, since they traded for Levert, we've never seen Levert and Warren on the court at the same time together. So there's a lot of unknowns when it comes to what, what this team could be because we've never seen them play together, all, all healthy. So will they ever get there is the problem. And I, I think that's the biggest thing is health and money. Health and money are, are the two biggest things when it comes to the Pacers. And how much one is, is T.J. Warren going to want? in the offseason and how much of the Pacers are going to be willing to pay. Are they going to go over the tax to keep him? Probably not. So will they have to make other moves to be able to create that space under the tax to keep him? Probably so. I think that they would like to keep him if he can come back and be who he once was, but that's asking a lot. He's got a long way to go. He's got about eight to 10 more weeks before he's even back playing an actual NBA game. So he's going to have to get in basketball shape number one and then prove that he can play through or that injury is fully healed because what happens if he gets hurt in March? You know what I'm saying? Like that's just going to diminish his value so much. It's like the Pacers have to be really smart here about how much they invest in the guy. So I, I get what you're saying though about Duarte. Duarte is a really good, talented player. Lavert, I believe he only has one more year left on his deal after this season. Mm-hmm. Yep. So same with Miles Turner. He's only got one year left after this season as well. Could they make a trade? It's possible. But I think that if Duarte is good enough to be a starter, then he'll earn those minutes from Rick Carlisle throughout the rest of this regular season and going forward. And they feel like Duarte, 
is the guy, then you might see them move on from T.J. Warren because Duarte is on that rookie contract. Here's what I'll say. I was part of the camp for a while saying you 100% have to re-sign T.J. Warren, even if you had to get the deal done earlier to save some money. I'm no longer in that camp. I need to wait and see. Because a, a guy like this, when you, you look at the Pacers and all the injury history that they have, guy like Warren, it's not enough to put it together for 40 games, be healthy, and be able to ink a $100 million deal and then think that you're not going to get hurt again. So I, I need to see something first. I, I, I love T.J. Warren. I want him to come back as healthy as can be. But the Pacers are in a pivotal spot. They dodged a bullet, not giving Oladipo that $100-plus million they tried. Um, but if, if they do it a Warren and, and it does and it backfires, a rebuild's coming. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, they just got to be careful. Well, I think if they give Warren in the twenty million dollar range, it'll be a shorter deal, more of a prove it kind of deal. And if he's able to prove his health, then they can work on an extension after that. But I, I just I'm just playing it by ear from the Pacers exactly. because that's all we can do. I just. One year at a time with with Warren because there's a reason he got traded from Phoenix. So good question, Shay. Thank you, man. We need to catch up again. So uh, really appreciate that question. Moving on, this comes from Stephen Grimes. We are now on Twitter. He said, can the Pacers be more than just a first-round exit every year, or do they finally have the pieces to take the next step? Man, on paper we might have the the pieces, but you got to – you got to get those pieces off paper and on the court. So for right now, <laughs> I feel like it's tough. I mean, it's it's way harder to do that than to just speak it into this podcast. But if they can get this team ever healthy, then yeah, I mean, why not? But for right now, the way it stands, it, it's it's become hard to imagine this team getting healthy. The East has gotten better. So, hey, for right now, I, I mean, I, I think I need to first see this team on the court together before I can imagine winning a first round when we just got to get to the playoffs first. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Getting to the playoffs is a, is a big one. I think number two, it's who you're playing in the playoffs. Like if we're playing the Knicks in a seven game series, it's going to be a bloodbath, but sure we can win that series. Mm-hmm. If we're playing the, the, the heat or the bucks or the nets, like my gut says, we're probably not going to win that series. They got too Believe, much talent. You know, there, there's a lot of talent. In yeah. I think we could take Boston. I think we could, Hang with them at least. Boston's not been playing great this year. Charlotte and Washington, those are two teams that we hung with close with not a full healthy roster. So I feel like you take – or you, you would feel better about playing those type of teams. But when you're talking about the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference, it's it's not easy. So you're hoping that this team can maybe get a 4-5 seed, right, and and get a nice matchup there in the 4-5, similar to what Atlanta did last year against the Knicks. Nothing against the Knicks. They're a good basketball team, but I think we could beat them in a seven-game series. Not saying we would, but could. Uh, Chicago, I'd like to see how we match up against them. But, you know, it's just one of those things, guys, where we have yet to see this team healthy, and we're never going to be able to bank on anything until we do. So I think they could, depending on their matchup. But, you know, at the same time last year, Kevin Pritchard thought the play in-game was a playoff game. So if you think we can maybe – yeah, if, if you think we can get in a play-in game and win a, and win a seven-versus-eight matchup in a play-in game and we win that, then, you know, hey, maybe we'll hang a banner up in Bankers Life Fieldhouse for uh, getting into the playoffs. But all kidding aside, I think that it's uh, – I, I think it's going to be hard to be more than just a uh, first-round exit every year right now, especially with how loaded the East is. But you never know. We just have to see this team healthy. Exactly. 
All right. Next question comes from Samuel Pippo, which is a great uh, Twitter handle. He said, what is the impact of change of coach from Nate to Rick? And if TJ McConnell has a chance to run for most improved player of the year. So what's been the impact of change from Nate to Rick? And do you think McConnell has a chance to be the most improved player of the year? Uh, there, there's some players right now that are really, they've really stepped up Cole Anthony right now. Oh, I know yeah. it's, I know it's that year one, a year two jump. Most players you expect, but he is really playing well. There's OG Ananobi. OG is playing great ball right now. And there's a few other ones that I know I'm overlooking right now off the top of my head, but I would say one of the biggest changes from Nate to Rick, uh, we're shooting a lot more threes than, than, you know, the Nate McMillan days. Uh, I think the Pacers are trying to play defense, but I mean, obviously, you know, we don't have Dan Burke in the situation. Burke was with. Uh, I think McMillan. the defense has looked really good, though, besides the first week. Yeah, besides that first week. But yeah, I mean, it still hurts when you're giving up like 135 points to the Wizards or, you know, 100 and whatever it was, 118 plus against uh, Charlotte. I mean, there's been some rough games, but uh, I think the biggest emphasis I would say. Everybody's shooting more threes. Guys like McConnell, guys like Sabonis are being asked to shoot threes even when they don't look comfortable doing it. I think the biggest impact of change for me has been the rotations. And Bjorkren played a weird style of defense, and I I think with Carlisle you're starting to see him. Some nights guys play, sometimes they don't. And we had a great follower on Twitter reach out to us basically saying, um, the, on Mavs Reddit, a lot of guys were talking about how the Pacers should be ready for a lot of different lineup changes because Carlisle likes to see what he has with this group. And then by the end of the season, come playoff time, he'll know what groups work together. So I enjoy the experimental thing. I think that he's done a good job of being a little bit more balanced with his offensive style as well. While it may have been a little bit to the detriment of DeMontis Sabonis and, and his numbers, because we saw him have a great year last year with Bjorkman utilizing him a little bit too much, being kindly here. I think that Carlisle has basically done a good job of this read and react kind of offense, but at the same time, I don't think that our players have necessarily lived up to what maybe Carlisle's expectations were for this offense. So he's a little bit more adaptive, and I think that's kind of the biggest takeaway for me is Bjorkman was, you're going to do it my way, and I'm smarter than you listen to me and do it my way. If not, we're going to fail because you're not doing what I said. Where Rick Carlisle is like, well, let's try this and this and this and this. And he's listening to Lloyd Pierce and he's listening to Jenny Busick and Matt Weiner. So all these different coaches are getting an input on what they should and shouldn't be doing. And, and Rick, Rick listens to him. So that's the biggest change for me. Uh, and just to confirm, did it say McMillan or did it say Bjorkren? Well, I'm assuming when he said from Coach Nate that he didn't know how to spell Bjorkren. And that's very possible. So when you have two Nates back to back, I'm assuming from, you, you gotta going say from one coach to the next, I would just assume it's the previous yeah, coach. Yeah, that would make sense. All right. So next question comes from Jimmy at James5538 on Twitter. Everyone healthy. Should Levert come off the bench as a go-to guy? I don't think that's happening in any scenario. Like, come on, Mark Monteith. Could, 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 Star could, McConnell. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look. Could Levert kill it off the bench? Yes. Is Levert going to come off the bench? No. If you move Levert to the bench, he's going to have a problem with it. I, I, I really think so. I think Duarte is the guy that will go to the bench, whether people like it or not. Guys, Levert's going to end up hitting some really big shots later this year. Trust me. Let him shake off the rust. He's played in, I believe it's four games now. He was on a minute count. 
you know, to, to start. I mean, get, give the man some time, and I think you're going to like what you see. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not making fun of Mark Monteith. It's just he's been hammering this home for, like, the last five months that McConnell should start and Lavert come off the bench because he is kind of a ball stopper in a sense, kind of what he's saying. He's a guy that can get others involved, but he likes to get himself involved. I mean, good points, but I still think that the team's best talent is when Brogdon starts next to Lavert. Yes. And, you know, hopefully you can get TJ Warren out there healthy, or even if you don't, Duarte, just because I think the size really matters because McConnell is a little bit smaller and he's not a switchable on defense. But the other guys are all more switchable players. But yeah, I mean, there's no way Lavert should come off the bench. You're, you're trying to really sell this guy that you want him to be here in Indiana. Exactly. And that ain't uh, the way to do it. Yeah. And, and if he wants to be a starter and he wants to be a good player, then. You know, he, he shouldn't come off the bench. I know Manu Ginobili did it, and he was like an all-star year after year and a Hall of Famer, but it's very rare that you see a guy buy into a certain role like that. So that's kind of my thoughts on that. But let's move on. We got a lot of questions here. This comes from Indiana Pacers at Indy Pacer. They said, hello, how are you doing? Uh, we're doing great. Thanks for asking. He said, I think the Pacers should have one more games than what we have. The next four games are tough. Denver, Utah, Philly, and New York. What are your feelings about those four games and how many games do you think are winnable? I mean, yeah, that is a tough stretch. That stretch did get a little bit easier today with Joel Embiid likely out for Saturday. The belief is that he's going to miss 10 days. The Pacers have always come up short against Embiid. You already know Ben Simmons isn't going to be suiting up. So uh, Philly's a really good team. I believe they have like the top record in the East or they did at least a day Seth ago. Seth Curry. Seth Curry, oh, 76. I'll, I'll, I'll never get over that. I never will. But Over what? It, we never had a chance again. Uh, yeah, but it, I wanted my voice to be heard a little bit more. Seth Curry was being passed around the, the league like some Halloween candy on a minimum deal. And you know what? The Pacers never came around. And that man is – he's shooting 60% from the field <laughs> as a unreal, shooter. He's unreal, man. Oh Most improved God. player right there. That's the guy you left out. I, that's another guy that could – and he, I believe, deserves it. But we'll see what happens. A lot of season to play. Anyway, with that four-game stretch, <laughs> Denver, Utah, Philly, New York, I think a success would be going two and two. Uh, I mean, Utah and Denver, very good teams right now. Anything can happen. The Magic just beat Utah. But if we can beat the Knicks and we can beat Philly and go two and two in that stretch – I'd feel great because uh, out of the four of those games, you know, the bulk of them are on the road. Alex, we have one road win this year. So we got to keep it realistic here. Yeah, I think winnable, you could say three of the four to me. I think the Utah game is pretty unwinnable, being that it's on a back-to-back in altitude after playing Denver. But you have two days off to prepare for Denver. You come home, you play a wounded 76ers team, and then you've already beaten the Knicks once. So, sure, New York's going to be ready for blood, but you know you can beat them, so your confidence is going to be high. I'll be interested to see how they go about playing them after beating them previously at home. So, I think that winnable are – there. three of them are three of them are winnable to me. Um, like you said, the likelihood of them winning three games is not as high as them winning two, but still uh, still something to, to monitor there as – we go forward, especially with different opportunities. But and here's what I'll say real quick. The Pacers yeah. are undefeated with Lavert and Brogdon in the starting lineup. So do not get me going. Anything could happen. But for right <laughs> now, I'm, I'm going to calm myself down a bit and say two and two would be great. Two and two would be really, really nice. You ready? Showtime. 
On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. So let's move on to our next question. This comes from DJ Davis at DJ Davis Law. Thoughts on bringing back Stevenson Lance in place of Brad Wanamaker? Stevenson Lance, a.k.a. Lance Stevenson. Yeah, that would uh, – <laughs> I mean, yes. The, the answer is, is simple. It's yes. Is it going to happen? No. I, I think the door could be shut on that reunion. I don't know. I don't want to say it is. But, man, I mean, you can't compare Brad Wanamaker to Lance Stevenson. You would have – Hey, Lance is in the G League for a reason, brother. I know, but thousands and thousands of people w- would easily make that decision. You know, they, they would sign that petition right now. Yeah, so I would, I would really like to just see Lance Stevenson under Rick Carlisle. <laughs> I think yeah. He already had to deal with our test and, and Stephen Jackson mm-hmm. and that group, but he was younger. At this point in his coaching career, I would be very intrigued to see how he handled the antics of one Lance Stevenson after a beautiful pass, you know, we know he can find some bonus on a pick and roll, but just imagine the, the the goofy dance up and down the floor afterwards, and the facial expressions, and then getting beat on defense. The air guitar play. being played, you know. Yes, I, I do not think Carlisle all would like hits. that, but uh, I think fans would like it. So I'm Absolutely. all for the fan, right? But yeah, I mean, I, I think at this point it's easy to it's easy to crap on Brad Wanamaker. Uh, Lance Stevenson might be a better choice than, than Brad Wanamaker, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not uh, – it's hard to go down that hole because we'll, uh, we're never going to see it. So next question comes from Naptonius Monk. What enticed the front office to sign Brad Wanamaker? I think just being a veteran point guard um, at this point, they needed – they wanted – but Carl mentioned he wanted a veteran point guard. Ronald Nared, uh had, had coached um, Brad Wanamaker in Charlotte. I feel like that, that connection right there had to have been worth something – and, you know, I don't really know how many other good veteran third-string point guards for a minimum deal were out there, you know, outside of a guy like Lance that could play the point that you knew wasn't going to happen. Yeah. No, and I mean, when it comes to Brad Wanamaker, we talked about it. Keeper Sykes, that was the guy. It was his job to lose, and clearly they didn't like what they saw enough. So Brad Wanamaker was one of the only names, I guess, on the market that they liked. Um, so baby Kyle O'Quinn, like I've said a few different times, it's what he reminds me of. He's, you've seen flashes, I guess you could say of like some good that he's done, like go back and watch some of the clips where he's made some nice reads offensively to Sabonis. And really when he played with McConnell a couple of times, he was really good off ball. So, um, there might've been some reasons why they liked him there, but quite frankly, it, it's a third string point guard. You knew you were going to need one with Brogdon always missing at least some portion of the season. And, you know, it's just Brad Wanamaker has not been good enough. And that's just the bottom line. He's got to be better, even if he didn't realize he was going to be called upon this early into the season. But, yeah, there's a reason he was available, though, Fachi, uh, during training camp. That there is. But I, I, I still think Brad Wanamaker over Kiefer Sykes, probably the right move. I, I don't oh, yeah. think Kiefer would have been able to contribute anything meaningful this year. I mean, I don't want to go that far down it, but I mean, I feel like Carlisle said it in the preseason. We brought it up quite a bit. At least I did. I know he said, it looks like a pro. 
And that was really like just popped out to me. So I, I think that Wanamaker just looked like a professional basketball player <laughs> that had played in the NBA before. And you could just tell based on his confidence in preseason, I guess you could say, or training camp, whatever, compared to a guy like Kiefer Sykes who was really fighting for a job. But let's move on to our next question. This comes from Elijah Worcester. He said, is anyone else noticing some indecision when Levert handles the ball? Seems like he dribbled to the second hash and doesn't really know what to do next. So have you noticed anything with like indecision in, in terms of Levert? Yeah, I mean, I, like I mentioned before, I, I think he's trying to shake off that rust. I mean, he's been good in spurts. Other times it feels like maybe he's trying to do a bit too much or just kind of moving too fast. Um, I, I think that at times maybe trying to play a little bit of, you know, being the hero when it, it, the, just slow it down a bit. So I think this is another classic situation where we got to give him enough time. I mean, this guy can make plays, but this year I feel like he's looking to score the ball more than in years past. Yeah. Um, well, I just got to see more of him. It's not been a big enough exactly. sample size it has for me. Four games. One right. week. Yeah. So let's just pump the brakes a little bit on the Levert slander. I mean, it's really easy to be reactionary in games, but give him some time. Let him get accustomed to this offensive style this offensive system and if he's still doing the same thing in 30 games then we'll figure it out but look what he did last year once he was given that time to gel with the guys and get that chemistry with the rotations he's playing in and the, the coaching staff and all that he got better so let's uh let's move on to our next question we got a lot of questions still Fachi. so this comes from sam colbertson he said i know we just extended him but what does the future look like for brockton with the Pacers because of injuries and availability. He has about three questions here, so let's answer that one first. Uh, the future is he's going to be in Indiana um, yeah. for, for like four more seasons. I mean, he he may never stay healthy. Like I mentioned, he's not going to play 82 games. So everybody get that idea out of your head. Barely anyone plays 82 games unless your name's Justin Holiday and you're an absolute warrior out there. So I just feel like this guy, <laughs> he, he brings leadership to the table. He wants to be there. The coaching staff obviously loves how he conducts himself. Uh, his future's in Indiana. Yeah, that's why you get a good backup point guard like TJ McConnell. There was a comment, you know, replying to this, talking about how they like TJ McConnell, what he's been doing. But, you know, it, it really is important throughout the regular season that you have a, a strong backup point guard. That's why I love what the Cleveland Cavaliers did by trading for Ricky Rubio. Um, you know, they just lost Colin Sexton to injury for quite a bit of time. And they've got Darius Garland and Sexton in the backcourt together. But then you have a veteran like Rubio that can come in and play right away. So just having that point guard depth is really huge. And, you know, that's why we're really stressing the whole Brad Wanamaker conversation. But when Brogdon's healthy, you have McConnell. And like McConnell said last night, I'm just trying to hold the fort down until, you know, Malcolm can come back and lead us because he knows that his role is not to be that starter. So that's what I really do love about the Pacers and what they've done with this point guard situation. Sure, you might want an upgrade over Brogdon. I get it. You know, uh, there's just not a lot of options out there to really trade for to upgrade. You know, a lot of guys have flaws. Like we've talked about De'Aaron Fox, but the guy's shooting 18% from three, something like that. So, you know, everybody's got flaws in their game and Brogdon's might be injuries, but a um, little bit slow sometimes on his feet, but he's good at getting to the basket. He's good at shooting the three ball and he's a good free throw shooter. So you like what he can bring to the table. The next question that he brought up here, how much better do you think Sabonis can get? That's an interesting question. It's a very interesting question. Um, defensively, 
Sabonis has improved. And the, yeah. guys, that doesn't really show up a lot, but I, I got a quick stat to throw at you right now. In terms of leaders in contested shots this year, Sabonis is sixth in the NBA in contested shots, which is actually ahead of Miles Turner. And I'm that, that's not to be a comparison, but that's that one guy gets talked about a lot for defense. One guy only gets talked about for offense, but Sabonis has bought into defensively this year. I mean, we talked about how he defended Julius Randle and, and a few other players along this season, just making things tougher. He's never going to be a, a big shot blocker, but this guy, was he was not a good defender a few years ago. It, it was fair to knock him. He's gotten better on that. And what I love, and I've always said before, is you look at Sabonis' stats, year after year, he's gotten better in a, in a few different categories and just kept it going until the point where he's became a two-time All-Star. Now it's kind of hard to continuously get better at all avenues. But what I mentioned before is he's shooting the ball less, 1.3 less shot attempts this year shooting a career-high field goal percentage. Um, and then assists are down this year, but I also just feel like overall, if you can buy into defensively, that's what the team needs. They don't need a guy to average 25 points per game. They want to win basketball games, and that might come at the expense offensively of Sabonis. Yeah, a lot of good points there, Fachi. And if I overlap, you know, it's just because I agree with you and I share the same sentiments, but when it comes to Domas, the only way that I really think he can get better, uh, well, there's three ways that I think he can get better. One, he can be a better three-point shooter, um, really work on his shot. He, you know, looked like he was actually shooting it pretty smooth in that first game. But first two like games. It was really kind of fool's gold, right? Yes, it was. Did not last. And, it, you know, he had a little bit of a hitch in his shot as well. We, we saw it in OKC before he came here. He's not a three-point shooter, so – really trying to force out of him. I feel like it's taken away from what he's great at, and that's being a force down low. The second thing is he's got to be able to start using that right hand. Has to. Everything is years. to the left side. Everybody knows which way he's going to spin. He's become too predictable in terms of that. So I don't know what they got to do, but maybe in the offseason he should literally tie his left hand behind his back and only should. use his right hand. He's got to figure out a way to become ambidextrous because – if he's able to change it up a little bit, like I know he wants to, you know, it's natural to go to your dominant hand side, but still, like if he's able to use both hands, I, I think that would be beneficial to him. And then thirdly, it's just got to get the turnovers down, Fodge. That's something that he has really had an uptick in this past week or so, just high on turnovers. And part of it's who he's playing with. Part of it's just him not making smart decisions, trying to force stuff that's not there. Trying, I mean, some of the passes he made, it's just like, oh, what are you throwing? You know, we got on Turner for it. I mean, I got to get on some bonus for it, too. Just some, like, really bad cross-court passes. Just make the easy play. And, uh, you know, Carlisle's got to do a better job of getting him in better spots on the floor where he can be more impactful. But, yeah, overall, I mean, it's just hard because there's so many mouths to feed on this team. And uh, right now I think he's doing – he's getting fed pretty well but he's also being fed in a different way than he has been previously. Yeah. I mean, we talked about how the, you know, defensively he's a big part of a lot of opposing teams game plans. He is being double teamed many times. The turnovers is a completely legitimate, you know, point that you mentioned. I mean, he's averaging 3.5 turnovers, which is right in line of what he was doing last year, except the difference is he was averaging about three more assists per game last year yeah. than what he is now. So that's changed. The ball, he's he's doing a lot less distributing. But at the same point, I mean, if his numbers are going to take a hit and the team's going to win, that's what we're looking for. So yeah. I, I just think it, it comes down to that. I mean, if there's little things like 
hey, if he can get to the free throw line a bit more, that would be great. I mean, that's been a struggle, you know, just in general for the whole team. But defensively, he's made an improvement there, guys. I promise you. Yeah, and so his last question here from Sam said, if we're completely healthy, are we an Eastern Conference Finals team? Lots. Oh man, we gotta we gotta pump the brakes real quick because it's just like you know we're man, talking about you're, you know you're getting overhyped for Fachi. That's a bad thing. I mean, look, I would love to be like, oh yeah, we're going all the way, but at the same point, man, we have a hill to climb just to get into the playoffs, just to really even get into the playing game right now. So I just feel like let's just start winning some games. Let's target getting back to 500. Then next, let's let's target getting to the playoffs, Eastern Conference Finals. I don't think it's going to be this year. But what I'll say is if you ask the Atlanta Hawks and their fans the same question, 11 games into last year, they would have said no chance. And you yeah. know what? They made it there. Yeah, but we got Lloyd Pierce on our team too. So I like the narrative you're going there with Fachi. Yeah, we do. So, uh, yeah, like Fachi said, it's, uh, it's hard to see this team being more than um, maybe a first-round Oh, playoff win, series win. Uh, Eastern Conference Finals would have to mean that we got lucky or somebody got a lot of injuries. Uh, that's the only thing I can think of right now, just based on the overall depth and talent based compared to the rest of the Eastern Conference. I mean, I don't think we're at that level yet, but I, I see where you're coming from. We hung with the Bucks, but they're not fully healthy. We hung with the Nets. They're missing Kyrie. So it's just, it's just when the playoffs happen, it's officiated differently. Players play differently, and the guys that are MVP-level players, they take their game to a totally different level compared to the regular season. And we've seen that happen to this team, unfortunately, too often in the playoffs where they're just good but not good enough. So next question here comes from at Hugh Pacers, our good friend Aaron M. He said, will this team get to above 500 by the end of 2021, Fachi? I say yes. I say yes, too. I mean, we're 4-7 and seven right now. Brogdon's returning. It's been a tough schedule, but at the same point, like you mentioned, we've had a couple of games that if the if the ball bounces just a different way, it's a different result. So yeah. four and seven right now, and we you know it's it's while we're recording this, uh, November eighth, we can get back to five hundred. Yeah, I will say I will make a hot take even hotter. Ooh. By the end of December, we're going to be above five hundred. By the end of December, so you know, well, you said by the end of twenty twenty one, so. Yeah. The end of December is the end of 2021. Right, right. Well, oh, yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, well, hey, it, it, it's it's coming up. I mean, either way, the tides are going to turn soon. Like I mentioned, adding Brogdon back, I know people are already like he's never going to be healthy, but well, we're a better team with Malcolm Brogdon in that starting lineup. Then you can move McConnell back to the bench. The bench is better. It's a whole chain effect. Yeah, I think I just read this question wrong. I was thinking by the end of the year when I answered it. But by end of 2021, would actually be by the end of December. So what I said exactly. is the same thing. Yes. So I apologize. I was I, like, man, that is not heating up. This is a hot take. I'm going to repeat yeah. what I just said. Okay, well, there you go. Uh, not so hot take. Freezing cold take there for me. Exactly. Read the questions better. But I do think that that's a great point, and uh, I agree with you. Uh, by the end of 2021, we will be 500. Sorry for messing that up. Uh, next question comes from Jason Wagner. Lately, Levert is – the best pacer at creating his own offense, but he's just as likely to grind the offense to a halt. Is this problem alienated by a fully healthy roster with the options of Brogdon and Warren available again, or should Levert be discouraged discouraged from so much hero ball? 
Look, I mean, he shouldn't need to play hero ball. It's great to know that he can. And that's like what I mentioned where the infamous turd quarter comes around and we're, we're, we're wondering what happens now. Well, you know what? That's your third poop reference for the day. There's a lot of poop references going around. But Levert having 13 points in the third quarter against Sacramento, we needed that. I mean, this is a guy that it's like his confidence doesn't waver. He still gets the shots up. And, yes, it has been too many shots. And sometimes they haven't been the best shots. But this is a guy that will hit big shots. But once you bring back Brogdon and Warren, yeah, he's not going to have to do so much. So I feel like he he's kind of taken a bit more than what he, he should with Brogdon out. But I do think that those shot attempts will come down because right now they would be a career high for him. Yeah, I think once the roster gets fully healthy, he won't have to do as much. But I think at the same time, if he's having success and he's having a good game, I don't care if he's a little bit, you know, uh, ball hoggy or whatever you want to call it, more of a ball stopper, you know, kind of controls a little bit, but that's only if he's having a really good game. So I I don't think he's going to do that. I think he's going to be more willing to to share the basketball in that regard because he likes to play make. But, you know, it's a good point. I, I, I can see why you might be frustrated as a fan watching him sometimes because 22 shots last night for 22 points against the Kings is not good efficiency. So yeah. he's got to be a little bit smarter with his choices, but at the same time, if there's nothing really going on, I would prefer him or Warren or someone like that trying to make something out of nothing instead of like a Tory Craig or those kind of level of players. So you, you just got to kind of pick and choose with him. Um, let's move on to our next question. This is from our from our girl, Lucky Aaron. She is such a faithful retweeter of our of our podcast post. So thank you so much, Aaron. I uh, really appreciate you doing that and not being a, a annoyed with being tagged in these posts. But she said, this isn't really a question for the podcast. It's more of a funny thing. But she said, "Who can replace Wanam- Who can we replace Wanamaker with? He is so terrible." <laughs> uh, of course, that's the sentiment from every fan after last night. It really is. I would just say a healthy Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we talked about third string point guards before. Jeff Teague is like the only name I can think of right now that's really out there. So, um, if you want Jeff Teague back, uh, well, there you go with that one. Uh, we got a couple questions here uh, from Juiced at AKA Morning. Uh, first, he says, opposing defenses are clearly focusing more on Domas, making it harder for him to get shots off, while the absence of Malcolm makes it easier for defense to double him. What can Indy do to lessen this issue without overusing Karras and hitting threes? I mean, yeah, I mean, we're, we're you're talking about being without Brogdon. You're talking about Sabonis being guarded. You're talking about no Warren there. It's like, it's tough. We're without numerous starters there, but the, the attention that Sabonis is commanding is enabling guys to be able to get other looks. So we just need them to hit their threes. So I, I think Miles Turner is the guy that's benefiting from that that we spoke about. Yeah, well, I, I think a way they can do it is getting him closer, getting him more paint touches, getting him more post-up touches, because if he's got the ball at the top of the key, right, and you're asking him to create something and there's nothing there on a dribble handoff, then he's taking the ball from the top of the key and he's starting to drive the basket. It's easier to predict what he's going to do because you know most of the time he's going to go with the left, and then if he's going to do anything, he's either going to look baseline to see if there's a corner shooter in the three or he's going to turn back to the middle looking for a cutter. Very easy to anticipate, and that's why I brought up earlier with how he can get better is by using both hands, becoming ambidextrous. So the Pacers can do a better job of not getting him so many touches outside of the paint 
because like you said, what is he shooting? 20% from three this year. Not very good. So give him the ball where he is efficient, put more pressure on the defense that way, instead of trying to force him to do all that out away from the basket. Um, you know, it's a, it's a tough thing to watch, but if you really are paying attention to the games, he's not getting clean looks as much as you'd like. Only time he really does is in a pick and roll with Karras, or like I said earlier, off of the offensive rebounds that he gets. So he's got to do a better job, and the, the coaching staff has to do a better job of maybe getting him a little bit more utilized in areas where he can succeed. So I think that's a great way to say it. And Juiced also said, besides that, I'm not sure Domas is much of a happy camper currently. Dude can dish out, but has also really taken a pounding out there daily. I understand the staff wanting him to shoot threes, but I don't really think that's his game. Rather have him shooting more from mid-range. I mean, I, I would I would love for him to be able to consistently knock down a mid-range shot, but that's not really his game either. It's it's I, I would like it to become part, you know, a bigger part of his game, but he just needs to become a consistent shooter. I, I've said it before. I think that's what stops him or limits him from being just an all-star and not an all-NBA player. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. He has one more question, Fachi, and it's another lengthy one. So read it real quick. He said, seems O'Shea is very much in Rick's doghouse with what the rotation looks like now and how deep the team is and how it will become when everyone is finally back. What do we do with him? Trading him now would not net us much and throwing him in to have someone take Liam feels bad. It, it's it's really tough because trading him now, you would literally get nothing. He's just not making enough money. He's not playing. Uh, unfortunately, I think he's in a position now that guys are starting to get healthy where it's going to be really hard to get playing time unless there's foul trouble or injuries or anything. You hope neither of that happens. So I don't know how he really gets out of this doghouse right now. It's going to be very tough, but there's just a lot of mouths to feed right now. Yeah, he's going to have to earn it in practice. And when he's called upon in the game, he's going to have to earn it there, just like he did with the Heat game. Wasn't in the rotation, but earned those minutes because of how well he played. Just consistency. I mean, he's a guy that, He's got a lot of veterans over him. He's on a minimum contract. And defensively, there's a lot to be desired there. I know some people think that he's better defensively than I do, but I just I feel like if he was a better defender, then Carlisle would not be playing the likes of Torrey Craig over him. So, you know, I get why they're playing Lamb over him a little bit, just maybe to try to get his value up. But the Keelan Martin minutes don't make a whole lot of sense, but he's not playing a ton. The Goga minutes are basically because Carlisle said rim protection is what you need. So that's where I think it just falls into a, a place where there's just not a ton of minutes for him to get. And when, when he was given the opportunity after that game against Miami, it did not look great. So, um, like you said, three back three games in a row with uh, DNP coaches' decisions. Um, I, I have to figure out <laughs> what's going on, but right now I'm not uh, I'm not too surprised by it, just because there's so many players on this roster, and we knew when they signed Tory Craig that he was going to get some run. And uh, that's the same position that O'Shea set plays. So let's move on. Anthony Anthony Childress with uh, a questionnaire. He said, with Brogdon's contract extension and what we have in Duarte, will the Pacers have to ultimately choose Levert or Warren long-term? Uh, I hope not, and I don't think so. I, I would imagine once they, they signed Brogdon, they had every intention to know, like, hey, Levert is a major piece here that we want to, you know, continue to build around. So – I don't think they're going to have to choose there, especially Brogdon's deal, you know, actually being pretty much a hair less than what he's currently making. I think it was like, I think it was 22 and a half million or right around that $22 million mark per year. So I, I thought that that was a bargain 
uh, given the situation. So there should be room left for Levert, but the TJ Warren contract is going to also influence that. Yeah, I mean, they could still make a trade. They could trade Brogdon if they wanted to. I'm not saying that just because you extend him means he's going to be here forever, but I would assume that they want him to be here because he's their best option at point guard. So they could trade one of the centers, though, and then play Warren at the four and play Duarte at the three with Levert and Brogdon, that starting five. So that is where you kind of look at this and say, okay, maybe those two being on the roster helps. Now, there's a case that Warren might not be the best option at the four because you know, it's a little bit more of a physical game down there. But with his foot injury and him picking up a little bit of weight during this time, you maybe wonder if he's going to bulk up and try to be more of a true four instead of a three. So just something to keep an eye on. I, I'm not I'm not sure either, but I don't think they necessarily have to choose long-term between those two right now because they can always make a trade to, to figure out how to keep cap, uh, you know, under under the tax. But we have two more questions here. David Matilla said, what will it take to get the attendance up? Trade for a big name, big win shrink, full health. What, what is it, Fonch? I mean, at this point, I think it would probably have to be bringing in a big name because you can't just turn into a contender overnight. I mean, it, it takes it takes a while to get that attendance back up, especially where it is. I mean, I don't know how much we really, you know, if everybody knows, but when the numbers came out early in the season – Pacers were dead last in the league. It was it was in the twelve thousands, while some contenders were closer to twenty thousand. So it, it was a big, big difference. Um, attendance is not good, and right now I think it would take a series of a lot of wins and probably even a, a trade. And I don't know if that's going to happen this year. I, I think it's going to take some time. Yeah, I mean, I I think that trading for a big name might help, but at the same time, fans are one frustrated because they can't watch the game. On, on TV, especially in Indiana, if they have league pass, they're blacked out. Bally Sports and Sinclair, that whole situation still with a lot of streaming networks. Looks like it might be resolved, but probably not until March where they're going to have their own streaming services where you can buy them. And that's just not going to help. But three, I do think that a win streak would help. I, I think that if you get a fully healthy roster, they beat some of these upper echelon teams, you'll have fans start to buy in. They say they won't right now, but Football season's going on right now, college and NFL. It's really eating into the attention. I mean, it is it is king when it comes to what it drives the numbers in terms of sports talk. So that is at the heart of everything right now. The Colts are a big thing. Purdue's playing really well. Notre Dame's really good. <laughs> IU fans could care less. They're looking for the basketball season. But, you know, that, that really does play an impact on that, David. So Really, I, I think if this team can just start winning more games, it'll be better. But last question here, our, uh, our our man, Zachary Barnett, he is rocking the Skyline Chili sweatshirt that he got. Also a big Steak and Shake fan. So um, pretty interesting that a guy likes two places that serve really good chili. But anyway, let's move on. Zachary Barnett said, who's the assistant coach who has had the biggest imprint on the team? I don't. I don't know for sure. I know. Come Jenny on, B- hot hot take, Flash. Give it to us. I don't know. This is a hot take. I mean, I would just say that Jenny Busick, I know, has gotten a lot of credit from guys like McConnell. I believe Sabonis. I know they've been working Rick with Carlisle for, for shooting. I mean, he's an assistant coach. I know. Rick Carlisle talk, talked about her helping oh, with yeah. McConnell shooting, and so did McConnell when he came on our show. Right, but I, he uh, just brought it up the other day. Yeah, in a press conference. So I've heard her get a, a lot of praise. I mean, Lloyd Pierce is the, the bigger name being a former head coach, but the praise that I've heard for Jenny, I feel like I've heard it from many different players. Yeah, I think Jenny deserves a, a ton of praise. I think Matt Weiner deserves a ton of praise 
Um, he's always up there telling Rick what to do. But I also think Lloyd Pierce is Rick's right-hand man for a reason. Uh, Lloyd was one that implemented a little bit of zone defense there that helped the Pacers get back in one of the games, I think it was against the Bucks when when Gogo was in there and they came back with that unit in the and cut it to five. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of different things that they're all doing. I think that Lloyd is mostly kind of like the defensive coordinator. And I think we've seen some different variations of defense. Some have worked, some haven't worked so well, but overall we're seeing a good amount of defensive impact here. So I, I think I'll give it to Lloyd Pierce, but Jenny Busek would probably be my second, but really they're all doing a good job. And like I said earlier in the show, it's been a long show. I know really appreciate Carlisle trusting those assistant coaches to help him. Absolutely. So that wraps up our mailbag Monday, Fachi. A lot of questions. Um, if we keep getting so many questions, we might have to like spread them out throughout the week because uh, <laughs> this segment's turning into a full show. But Fachi, uh, where can the people find us at on social media? So you could find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You could find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F A C C I. You could find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You could find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You could find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And don't forget, if you want to enter into our prize package giveaway to win a Setting the Pace hoodie, a Jermaine O'Neal autograph card, or a City Edition jersey, the ones that they wore against the New York Knicks, those awesome new jerseys, go leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcast, screenshot it, send it to alexgoldenmba at gmail.com. Once we reach 175 ratings and reviews, we're going to give you guys the opportunity to win those three those three prizes. So enter your name. We're going to pick three winners, and you all will be hooked up with a cool gift. So thank you so much for giving back to us. And Pacer fans, if you're excited for a little bit of time to celebrate this Kings win and looking forward to a victory against the Denver Nuggets, say these three words. Let's go Pacers! Oh, we have some smother ticket on that one. Smother ticket. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.